Welcome to the Science of SaaS Startups podcast, where we talk with leaders across the world of tech startups. We'll be discussing revenue growth, leadership, funding, acquisition, and much more. This podcast is for anyone at a SaaS startup. Whether you're a new business hunter or founder, make sure you tune in and enjoy the episode. Before we get into it, make sure you hit like and subscribe, and don't forget to comment your views below. The Science of SaaS Startups podcast is brought to you by Venetech, a sales recruiter for high-growth SaaS startups. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Science of SaaS Startups podcast. Today, I'm talking to Larson Stair. Uh, Larson is the co-founder and CEO of DemoFlow. Uh, DemoFlow is a collaborative uh, remote selling platform which streamlines the prep, presentation, and documentation across the, the sales organization. Larson, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ben. I really appreciate the time. So just want to kick things off, um, asking you a few questions to help the audience get to know you a little bit. So when it comes to your working day, are you an early bird or a, a night owl? Uh, well, I'm uh, more innately an early bird. I'm an early riser. But what startup land uh, forces you to do is be both. You got to do everything. So I'm up late. I'm up early. Um, but I'd say more naturally up early, uh, earlier riser, I'd say. And at this point in the, the kind of startup organization, I mean, how, how are you trying to structure your day? Like, what, what are the key things that you're trying to focus on each day? Yeah, you know, um, as I'm sure a lot of startup founders and early stage employees can empathize with is it's easy, especially in this world now, it's easy to pack your day full of meetings. So I've had my ebbs and flows of like, I'm kind of coming out of a jam-packed meeting stint of like three months where I was like back to back for 10 hours straight and just kind of letting my calendar be at the will of people that want to meet with me. And now I'm kind of keeping people a little bit more at arm's length and trying to consolidate my meetings and be more efficient with my time. So a lot of times my more creative uh, time that I need for me to get my work done is in early mornings and then at nighttime. Um, mm -hmm. Throughout the day, I'll be doing a lot of work with the teams, but I have to leave a lot of time open for sales calls that might come in or people that want to meet with me. Uh, to talk about deeper expansion of our product and the services that we offer here. So I'm trying to be a little bit more strategic about consolidating my time into blocks and being more efficient with kind of how we're spending the day, uh, making sure we're not just in 10 hours meetings back to back all day, every day, because that is quite fatiguing. Yeah. And obviously you don't get any chance to think and develop the strategy of the business. And yeah, certainly. Okay. Certainly. So next one, a little bit different. So if you get to choose two dinner guests, dead or alive, who do you choose? Oh, um, I would choose, I mean, Mark Cuban is my favorite shark. So I, I like Mark Cuban a ton. I think he's uh, just, he has a really interesting story and in how he came up and I just like him as like a business person. He's yep. just a little bit more uh, direct, a little bit more frank, not like this super well-polished uh, suit and tie type of person, but really knows his stuff and has a deep seated like sales background and is a salesman at heart. So I really, I like him a lot. 
And then um, I don't know if I'd actually really want to meet with Steve Jobs because he might tell me that uh, I'm a bad <laughs> entrepreneur or something or kind of like <laughs> yeah. uh, tell me. Feel really bad me. when you leave. Yeah, right. It might make me feel <laughs> kind of bad about myself. I'm not really sure. But <laughs> I think it'd be really interesting to meet with somebody like that uh, who has just, you know, built such an iconic company of Apple. Okay. And so just a, a topical one with uh, the Olympics going on at the moment. Would you rather be an Olympic medalist or an astronaut? Well, I get motion sickness. So it's kind of an interesting duality for me. So like going up into a spaceship sounds uh, extremely exciting because I'm also a skydiver. So one of my okay. hobbies is skydiving, but I also get motion sickness. So probably a spaceship over an Olympic athlete um, is probably where I'd, I'd kind of lie. But it's a little bit of a conflict there because I like to jump out of airplanes, but I also get motion sickness in airplanes sometimes. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so it might take you a day or two to, to get it. It take me a little while, yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to do the Bezos one where you just go out for three minutes, feel really ill, and then come back down. Exactly, yeah. Then, yeah. I need to get adjusted up there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, um, so if we jump into to demo flow then, um, yeah. do you want to kick things off and give us an overview of the company and, and what you're trying to do? Yeah, certainly. Um, so it's important for the context of what the, what Demoflow is and the company is just a little on my background is, you know, I came from the pre-sales and sales world for software sales. So I've experienced the day-to-day -day challenges of A, trying to sell a product consistently, trying to make sure that that product resonates with my end users, uncovering for business pains and making a better connection between business pains and the value that that solution provides our solution provides. And, and ultimately what I saw is a ton of inconsistency in the SaaS selling market. And when that, where that really stemmed was the product demonstration. And I was a solutions consultant and I worked in pre-sales. And so that was really our initial point of focus is how do we create consistency amongst product demonstrations? And so we're doing a better job of connecting business pain with the value that solution provides. So that was really where we started. And now what the solution has evolved to is Really, it's a solution for any sales conversation you might be having, whether it be an SDR doing a qualification call, an AE running a discovery call, or even some that run demos themselves. Sometimes uh, pre-sales will run calls with account executives, so product demonstrations with their AE counterparts. Um, demo flow can be used in any of those situations to help take notes in Salesforce, run incredible product demonstrations, and just create a better connection with your prospects as you're running through any of those calls that you might be having throughout that sales cycle. So that's ultimately where we started, uh, where we are right now and where we're headed into the future. Yeah, okay. And, and the, the art of the demo is obviously something which is just like a topic in itself, right? <laughs> these days mm -hmm. and there's a massive debate you know i read a lot about kind of process orientated demos versus kind of mm -hmm. value orientated demos mm -hmm. you know with, with your solution is this you know something which just caters to every world or you know does it kind of lean in in one direction well what i'm sure a lot of the pre-sales folks that might be listening would agree with me on this next point is all of those demo processes or types or styles of demos that you just talked about there, pocket demo, value demo, feature function demo, a demo that's catered to an end user versus a senior C-level executive. You need to have all of these in your arsenal and you need to be yeah. ready for all of them and be able to pull those in when the situation presents itself. And so that's what Demoflow does extremely well is basically you can pull from a library of unique flows or entire demos that are catered to those types of personas, 
styles of demos you want to be, you know, kind of presenting. And so it's a quickly just say, okay, cool. I'm gonna run a quick pocket demo. It's 15 minutes, click, drag, pull it over. And it's all prepped and ready to go. And so that's what our solution does extremely well is you're really prepared for any of those situations or those moments. And it can, can pull from a library and reduce that prep time and get you right to the type of presentation you want to be running very, very quickly. Okay. And when you're talking about inconsistency previously, is that kind of you're seeing people in the same role delivering very, very different demos each time? Yeah. So it'd be one of two things. So either um, people in the same role delivering very inconsistent demonstrations, some that are really great and most of which that are not. But I'd say probably more, more likely is 80% of the time you get a very generic demo. It's the same thing amongst every person that you're pitching to. And that's a problem because like I'm talking language that might cater to a real estate person or retail or software salespeople or whatever it might be. And it's the wrong audience for the talk tracks or the story that I'm telling. And so that is the more common thing that we're seeing where either an AE poorly qualifies a deal, gives it to an SC, they're trying to run disco demo on the same call. And so they can kind of run a generic demo while they're trying to do deeper discovery and it kind of sometimes lands flat. And so I'd say that is the more pervasive problem that I've seen is like, because we don't have great consistency and a good job of creating segmentation and the types of presentations we're running uh, that lands in one singular generic demo that feels the exact same as the 10 other vendors that your prospect is evaluating. And that is the true problem there that we need to help solve. Yeah, so just like helping those companies to stand out as much as anything. And, and obviously exactly. the, you know, the role itself of pre-sales has like evolved mm -hmm. a lot over the over recent years. Because I remember when I started recruiting, it was very much the, the kind of technical geek who got wheeled out to kind of satisfy, mm -hmm. you know, technical concerns that a client might mm -hmm. have. Whereas now this role is kind of front and center in the consultative sales process. Can, yep. it, can you just talk a little bit about how that kind of collaborative collaborative effort works these days and how demo flow sits in with that? Yeah, you know, it's, it seems like it's changing quite a bit. Um, you know, even from, you know, I was in pre-sales maybe five years ago and the processes that I ran was fairly standard that I hear, but I'm seeing it evolve and I'll explain how. So like what it, what it used to be in the fairly standard motion is, you know, you have your SDRs run your qualifications that gets passed to an account executive they'll run a discovery call. And sometimes they'll bring in pre-sales on that discovery call just to be a support system, not to run the call, but just to be a fly on the wall and ask a few strategic questions throughout that discovery call. Um, that can branch off into a, a few different next steps here, either for larger enterprises, they'll do a technical discovery call or a deeper dive, where typically the solution consultant could be running more of that call and we're digging much, much deeper into technical requirements, before we show any product. You see that a lot with big companies like um, you know, Adobe, SAP, like large organizations. And then the other route would be, okay, I uncovered enough on discovery. I'm going to transition into a product demonstration. And what we'll see a lot on product demos is typically the account executive will begin and end the discussion. They'll open it up with some slides where you summarize what we talked about last time, what we're going to show today and then pass it off to the solution consultant to run the main technical portion of the middle of the presentation. And then the account executive will typically finish up the call, review next steps, unanswer questions, and set a date and time of follow-up there. So like, that's kind of the first three steps of that. And then pre-sales, typically their engagement will end after like a POC. So they'll be brought through to the POC proof of concept as we're trying out the product and help a prospect walk through that. 
Um, and then once we have alignment there, then they'll typically drop off uh, for the sales rep to kind of complete and finish up the call. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things I really liked when I looked at demo flow was where you can access all the CRM uh, data, like directly in the system and also update it in the system. Um, I mean, can, can you give us a sense of like how many different applications, you know, a, a sales or a pre-sales person would be using in, in most organizations? Yeah. So, well, I'd say salespeople have a lot more tools that they're using than pre-sales. Pre-sales has been a classically underserved, you know, segment of software sales. Definitely. Like yeah. we're seeing that emerge with a lot of different solutions coming up in 2020, DemoFlow included yeah. in that. Um, but, you know, I'd say a typical sales rep, I mean, I mean, you could have anywhere from, I don't know, 30 softwares that you might be using yeah. uh, on any given and, and for to run any given sales cycle, CRM, screen share tools, Slack, uh, where you're hosting all of your content with slides, all this type of stuff that helped me run through. So it's very disjointed right now mm. um, in terms of the number of applications that you might need to run an effective sales cycle. Yeah, which I think, you know, really speaks to the benefit of what you're doing when you can kind of merge some of those things together and just have you in that same kind of flow throughout the day. That's exactly right. And really the, the bottom line is like to run a really great sales cycle, it's we know what to do. Like most software companies know exactly what to do. If you say, hey, you know, we're a CRM company and we're pitching to a finance company and we're pitching to a VP of finance there. Like, you know how to present to those people and the different motions you want all of your sales reps and pre-sales people to be walking through. The problem is, is yeah, the top one, two, three percent can do it really, really effectively and piece all these pieces together to form a really great sales cycle and those best practices. What's more challenging is the bottom 93% or 97%. And how do we get them to act and follow the processes like the top 5% are doing? And so that is one of the things that we do extremely well is to help to create more templatized uh, within those sales cycles to follow those best practices. Which obviously really helps as companies are growing as well, because, you know, when you're onboarding new people and trying to get them up to that level, you know, that, that's a massive challenge in itself, especially when everybody's remote and you don't necessarily have the time to kind of sit with them. And That's exactly right. I mean, not only when you get started at a company, not only do you just have to like get to know the people that you're working with, but all the technologies that you're using internally just to do your job. And what does your product do? So if you're before you run any product demos, you have to go through trainings and sales trainings and product trainings and all these different things that can can take a long time. And so shortening that ramp time um, is something that we certainly contribute to uh, and can help to get people up to speed and selling much, much faster. Yeah. Okay. And is there a, like a sweet spot for, for demo flow? Like, I mean, is it like a higher ROI for companies who, who are doing like a very high volume of demos per day, or is it kind of just equally as beneficial to a company which might do a lower volume, but obviously like a bigger ticket deal? Yeah, honestly, we see a good spread amongst our user base. So we have, you know, like for example, Sugar CRM and Abby is one of our like larger enterprise customers where they have higher ticket items longer sales cycles, more people involved in that sales cycle and a more technical product. And then we have, you know, users on the other end, like we do have a few users at Zoom right now where it's a fairly transactional product that they're selling and, and it's a fairly standard motion. It saves them just a ton of time in terms of prep so they can run these beautiful presentations and sales cycles. So it's, you know, I'd say it's pretty equal split between both, you know, larger enterprise versus smaller, you know, transactional selling cycles. 
uh, we're seeing a pretty equal split across that um, in terms of user base. Yeah. Okay. And obviously, like you touched on it earlier, but like sales enablement software is is gaining real traction as a kind of an industry in its own right now. Like where, where do you see kind of the future of this market? Like how do you see these tools evolving in the future to kind of further support the, their users? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a few things. So sales enablement, there's a lot of tools that are in sales enablement now. And, you know, the whole premise there is how do you get all of your, your sales reps to be pointing in the right direction, saying the right things, doing the right things to make a better connection and close deals, right? Like that's the whole point of sales enablement tools. What is a newer trend and something that is arguably more important is what we're seeing is that a lot of the sales cycle, that when people are buying a piece of software, most of that decision is not made when me and the sales rep is in the room with you as a buyer. Most of that decision is made, we have our one hour call and then 90% of the decision-making is your, I'm no longer in the room and now you are my sales rep as my buyer. So it's yeah. your my job to equip you as the buyer with the right information so you can quickly and succinctly articulate my software's value props to your leaders, your subordinates, your colleagues. So as you're going through and trying to convince people on your team that, hey, we really need to buy this piece of software. You have all the information that you need so you can go through those conversations really succinctly and you get green lights as you're going through it. So it's really about enabling the buyer now. Sales is plenty enabled. We have tons of tools out there. What's more challenging is how do we enable our buyers to sell our value props more effectively to their internal colleagues so we can speed up those sales cycles. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, actually. Um, so just to kind of jump into the startup life. So as a company, you've raised uh, $4 million so far through, through seed rounds. When when $4 million gets dropped into your bank account, like what, what is the core focus for that money? I mean, obviously, it gets spent in, in several different areas of the business. But w- when it happens, like what do you see as being like the most critical first investment? Most critical first investment, um, there's a lot of instincts or like uh, impulses that you want once you have, uh, you know, such a large dollar amount dropped in your bank account. I mean, I'd say for the vast majority of founders, like they've never even seen that amount of money in their entire lives. I know I certainly haven't. It's just like, this is crazy. And so you have what you should be doing and then your impulses. In my opinion, what you should be doing is do you really have product market fit? You need to invest in the product. Is this thing really, really sticky? Is it really addictive almost in terms of the value you provide um, in, in your solution? And can people find that value super quickly? It retains them over the long haul. And so that really should be a core focus. And yes, you might have you might have the thought of like, oh, after pre-seed or after your seed rounds, like you certainly have gotten there. Probably not. I think product market fit is an evolving thing that happens over time as your market expands and your user base expands. And so we've, we've you know, really, frankly, spent a lot of money on improving our product, adapting our product, making it easier to use, more ubiquitous across different platforms. Uh, like, for example, we just launched a big integration with Zoom video. So now Demoflow is right in Zoom right now. So that was another big investment that we made to say, hey, let's make this really, really easy to find and to use right now from Demoflow, right in your Zoom app, um, right below. So uh, that is kind of where, in my opinion, where you want to be focusing a lot of that initial capital to make sure that you're really focused on finding product market fit. 
And, and in finding that, that product market fit, is that just through kind of talking to your early customers or talking to people who aren't your customers? Like, how do you do that? Is that or is it just kind of iterating until you find the right fit? Yeah. So it's that part, the last part you just said there, it's iterations. So being really methodical about watching user behavior in your, in your solution or platform as new users come on, what do they do? Where are they running into roadblocks? Where are they having success? Are they actually following the path that you want them to follow to get them to those, what we call value realization moments? It's like you get to that aha moment of like, whoa, this does this. Like, mm. that's incredible. I want to find, we want to get them there in the shortest amount of time possible. And then that's what keeps you coming back. And so, you know, really focusing on those user metrics, trying to identify where those moments of truth are and those aha moments and doing your best to reduce the amount of time it takes for a new user to find that aha moment in the fewest amount of activation points possible. So that is a really important focus for us and like at this stage. And, and how do you do that? Is that like kind of analytics or is that, you know? You know yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, we actually use a combination of two softwares. So we use a software called Mixpanel and a software called Full Story that helps us with just understanding more broadly about what our user base is doing, which is really critical at such an early stage because you know we've built a product. Uh, we're starting to see you know pretty significant increases in terms of the users coming in. So different users want to do different things, and trying to identify those broader trends amongst how people are acting in our product and. What 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 you know? What do we? What are the correlations that we notice about people that come back into our solution? What actions are they taking? And so, how do we get more people to take those same actions? Um, and so, that's a lot of the the tools that we use to help to find what those actions are uh, to help us identify those trends. Okay. Yeah. Full story. Just got a funding round yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, or the day before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah that's yeah. just a topical one which just came up. So um, you mentioned earlier that um, you worked with another software company previously in, um, in kind of sales and, and pre-sales roles. Can you talk me through the, the day that the demo flow first came into your mind? Like what happened that day to make you think there's got to be a better way to do this? Yeah. Well, you know, the way that I presented when I was in pre-sales was fairly unique. Um, you know, I was trained uh, by my boss at that time, and it was actually off of a, a, a demo methodology called demo to win. So it was not my demo methodology that I came up with that was so great, but it was basically around how do we incorporate and integrate the use of, you know, visual slide decks with the actual platform browsers, but not in like a, I'm going to show you all my slides and then all my browsers, a little bit more broken up. So I can switch back and forth between slides, live platform, more slides to help to keep your attention. It's really mm -hmm. about attention right now. And if I bore you to death with 30 slides in a row, you're going to be texting on your phone until we get to the product demo, and then you'll start to perk up and pay attention. But if I integrate and go slide browser, slide browser, slide, slide, slide browser, or videos or different types of content, now I might keep your attention a little bit more effectively. And that's what I was noticing when I was running these product demonstrations. I'm like, these are going well, like we're closing big deals. And it's really resonating with my, my end audience. And I was looking at all my counterparts and being like, why, why aren't you doing it this way? Like, like this is working and there are ways that we could do this more effectively. And it just took too much time, frankly. And, you know, I'm not here to like, you know, talk smack on any AEs, but there's a general trend of like AEs want things to be really, really easy to use, really easy to you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, get, get those deals done. And they're being really efficient with their time. 
And so things that take a lot of time, that could be hard to scale. And so I remember looking at all my counterparts, sitting in on some demos and being like, you're doing that. This is not right. You need to do something different here. And, but they didn't want to. And so I'm like, how do we, how do we fix that? How do we make that easier and more, you, you know, make it easier to scale like some of the best presentations out there that are best suited for that moment in time. And so that was the problem that we were trying to see, solve. And then, you know, once you thought, right, this is a real problem, you know, I, I think there's a good market for this. Like what was the first step that you take to kind of start the process of turning that into a real business? Get out some whiteboards, get out some whiteboards, start marking up some, some ideas and just like, okay, what does this mean? What is included in this? And like, basically being an entrepreneur is just like nonstop solving problems. That's what this is. It's like, this is a problem that I want to solve an overarching one. Okay. How do we do that? Let's break it down into small pieces. So we basically took whiteboards out and we did like some initial screens and mock-ups there of like what this could be in terms of like the most minimum vile product product out there that is testable. And there's a common phrase of like, if the first product you release, you're not embarrassed by it, then it was too late. Then that was certainly true for us. Like the first product <laughs> we released to some beta users, like was embarrassing, frankly, it was pretty bad. It was hard to use. It was not like it had a lot of work to get it set up, but that was the point. So people could tell us feedback early and often along the way as we're continuing to build on iterate on this product. So we're not building things that are just for me, basically. And in terms of the fundraising process, like how, how did you approach that? Did you already have contacts or like how, how did you go about getting in front of the, the investment community? Yeah, I was very fortunate. My co-founder Jack and myself were very fortunate to be accepted into the Techstars Boulder program. So in November of 2019, we were accepted into the Techstars Boulder program. And that's a for those who don't know, it's an accelerator program that's global now. They originated out of Boulder, Colorado. I think it was about 14 years ago now. And basically the whole premise there is they give you a small, small amount of initial pre-seed capital. They put you through a three-month accelerator and kind of teach you how to A, start up a business, go get customers, and then start to pitch to investors. And at the, the culmination of that event is something called Demo Day, where I guess I was going to get up on stage and present to a live group of you know, about 1, 1,500 investors. Fortunately, unfortunately, that was COVID time. So we got, uh, it was all virtual then. Uh, but that, regardless of not of in-person or remote, it really kick-started our fundraising efforts and gave us the network to go, you know, reach out to all these different investors and find the people that are interested in investing in B2B SaaS software uh, applications like Demoflow. And so that's what really gave us the network. We're very fortunate in that sense because it'd be quite challenging without the assistance of Techstars. Yeah. And, and obviously becoming a CEO for the first time, you know, there's a learning curve there and that, that kind of brings its own challenges. But what, what are you watching most closely in the business? Because, you know, you know, if I mess that up, this is going to kill us. So it was a question, what am I tracking? Or can you say it one more time? Yeah. What, what are you tracking like most closely in the business, you know, that, that you know is kind of going to kill you if you get it wrong, basically? Yeah, well, I think that stems back to that product market fit piece is like, what is our what is our net retention on our users coming in and, and how quickly can we retain them, get people coming back day over day, meeting over meeting, like that's what we're shooting for is I want you to use Demoflow on every sales call you ever have. And so how do we get to that spot? And we're certainly not there yet. 
but we're you know on the track to getting our users to there. And it's just a lot of like understanding trends and the user metrics and our data, you know, how people are using it today, staying incredibly close to our customer base. So we have, you know, all of our large enterprise organizations we talk with almost daily um, in terms of new features that are coming out, feedback that they have for us. And so that is the pieces that are the most critical to us right now and like what we're focused on the most in terms of like business metrics uh, across our company. Okay. And in terms of when you're on that learning process, you know, everybody learns from mistakes. You know, what what was Mm -hmm. the biggest mistake that you made so far? And would you change it if you could? Or was it a useful learning experience? Oh, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) Because you make you make tons of mistakes throughout the way, like tons of mistakes. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the mistakes that you can make, and you know, we recognize this mistake early, so it wasn't really anything that was super detrimental or anything, but um, whenever you raise a lot of money, there's an impulse to go hire a ton of people and go bring a bunch of people onto the team. And like, we're certainly ready to scale and like, you know, scale up all these different pieces of the business. And it's easy to think that you're ready to do that before you're actually ready to do that. And so being aware of premature scaling is a, is a really a critical piece. And for me, as a as my background is in sales. And so my first instinct was let's hire a bunch of sales reps. And what I should have done, what we should be doing is hire marketers. Let's build a funnel. Let's get me absolutely inundated with leads. And I can be doing all the selling right now until we get to a spot where it's like, I can't handle anything more. We can't even feel all the requests that we need and people that want to come and, and work with us and ready to pay us money. And at that junction is when you're ready to actually start scaling the sales side of the business. Um, so I think that those are kind of two things is don't, don't try to scale prematurely and make sure you have a solid marketing funnel before you start bringing in um, more sales reps and salespeople and try to scale that side of the business. Okay. And, and when you're uh, building that founding team, <clears throat> is it just kind of uh, colleagues and, and people that you've known previously, or, or are you kind of actively thinking about the right mix of skills and kind of what you're good at, but what you're not good at, and you need someone else to come in and kind of fill those gaps? Like, How much do you need to look in the mirror when you're kind of building that, that founding team? Uh, very much looking in the mirror. Like I'm very fortunate in the sense that my co-founder Jack and myself, you know, one of the things that we have that we've done really well is basically uh, our entire skill sets are totally divided. He is the engineer and I'm the sales rep. So our skill sets are quite literally opposites and it makes it really, really easy to be like, okay, you do all product stuff. I'll do all sales. And then where you fill in the gaps is okay. Customer success, marketing, we need to help people find talent. We need more engineers. And so it's easy to fill in the gaps there um, as we were building the business. And so that was a few key things that we're focused on. What is our gaps and our skill sets? And how do we find people that have been there, done that before, and are really skilled in their craft where we might have some gaps? And, and, and what do you look for like beyond the skill set? Like what, what kind of culture, what kind of soft skills do you feel like people need in order to be successful in a startup? Um, yeah, it's another good question. I mean, I think one of the things that I look for the most is, uh, persistence and creativity. So this is so hard. Like this is so hard to start a company to convince the masses that they should do something a different way. And so you have to be really creative in your approach. What worked last week might not work this week. What worked on that email is not going to work on this email. And you have to be just an idea machine. And fortunately you exercise that muscle over time. 
but also combined with that is people are going to tell you their ideas are bad. And so persistence is key here and having some thick skin behind this. And fortunately you build that over time and you build that muscle and exercise that muscle over time. And so, but those are kind of the two big things that I look for uh, when I look at bringing new team members onto the team. Perfect. Okay. Well, uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on today, Lars. And if people um, yeah. want to get in touch and discuss demo flow, is the website the best or LinkedIn or email? Like where, where do you live? Yeah, I live, well, you can contact me pretty much anywhere, but demoflow.io is one of the best ways to do it. You can start a trial on there and our team will reach out to you. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Larson Stair is my full name. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to connect. Great stuff. Okay. I really appreciate your time and you know, I really look forward to seeing how the company grows from there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Science of SaaS Startups podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit like and subscribe. And don't forget to comment below. The podcast is brought to you by Venetech, a sales recruiter for high-growth SaaS startups. Get in touch with Ben Jackson if you're looking for a new role or to add sales talent to your team 24-7.